Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm not sure if you've heard of a man named Octavian. He was one of the most controversial leaders in all of world history. His great uncle was none other than Julius Caesar, who was assassinated by conspirators in 44 BC. And Octavian was named in Julius Caesar's will to become the heir to the throne. And during this time, Rome was ruled by the Senate, more of a democracy, a representative government. And yet Octavian systematically dismantled the government by the people, for the people, and eventually became the first Roman emperor. And through his military might, he ushered in what was called the Pax Romana, Latin for the peace of Rome, a peace that lasted 200 years. So he manipulated the Senate to give him ultimate control of the empire, an emperor for life. And during his reign, the Roman Empire spread. He annexed Spain, Egypt, Greece, almost conquered Germany. He was responsible for the Roman road system. He was responsible for building the forum that we have in Rome, building the world's largest army at that time. And he was the first emperor to make people worship him as a god. And according to legend, he had been miraculously conceived, get this, by a snake. In the British Museum, there's a personal inscription under Octavian that says this. This is what the inscription says. Son of God, Savior of the world. The Son of God, Savior of the world. Now, you probably don't know him by the name Octavian. That was his given name. You probably know him as his emperor name, Caesar Augustus. Augustus in Latin means one to be worshipped. He's the first Roman emperor to demand worship as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, as the one who brought peace, as the one who was conceived by a snake. So listen to the words of Luke chapter 2 with your Bibles open, with that background. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That same Caesar Augustus. The one who was supposedly the savior of the world, the most powerful man in the world, the one who brought 200 years of peace, there could be no greater contrast between Caesar Augustus, conceived by a serpent, and Jesus Christ, conceived of a virgin by the Holy Spirit, the true Son of God, 
the true Savior of the world, the true Prince of Peace. Now, how did God bring our Savior into the world? Through military might? Through power? Through fanfare? Or did God choose a no-name peasant girl on the backside of nowhere and a carpenter named Joseph to bring Jesus into a little town of Bethlehem? So let's think about this passage of Scripture together on this Christmas Eve morning. And as we read this, this passage of Scripture can be distilled down into one sentence that really reflects who we are as a church. It really defines our mission as a church. And so here's what this passage of Scripture is about. We must display God's glory by declaring God's gospel. That's really what our mission is as a church. We display God's glory by declaring God's gospel. And I'm going to give away the sermon at the beginning and, and just tell you what it's about. The angels displayed God's glory by declaring God's gospel to the shepherds. And then what did the shepherds do? The shepherds believed the message and they imitated the, sh- the angels and they declared God's glory and they displayed, I mean, they, they displayed God's glory and declared God's gospel in turn. So, this morning... I want us to see the birth of Christ unfold in two scenes. And sometimes we're so familiar with the Christmas story that you just kind of gloss over it. I've heard this a million times before. I want you to hear it this morning with fresh ears, as if you've never heard it before. And I want, you to th- I want, I want us just to examine this passage of Scripture that's so famous, and I want us to see the first scene. We're going to look at it from two scenes this morning. So here's the first scene, a tale of two kings. A tale of two kings. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Caesar Augustus issues a decree. And he's the most powerful man in the world. So when Caesar Augustus issues a decree, you must obey that decree because he's the emperor. He's the so-called savior of the world. And so this decree went out for people to be registered. And really, it was for taxation purposes. So every male in Jerusalem was forced to go back to his hometown by birth to be registered for taxation purposes. And Joseph was from the lineage of David. He traced Joseph's lineage. He's from the lineage of David. He was betrothed to Mary, and he has to go back to Bethlehem. It's about a 70-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And, And here's where we get some of God's sense of humor. Who do you think's in charge of this whole thing? Or who thinks he's in charge of this whole thing? Caesar thinks he's in charge of this whole thing. I'm going to issue a decree. I'm going to make everybody go back to their hometown. I'm in charge. I'm, I'm the top dog. But does Caesar Augustus realize that as the top dog, he's setting into motion all these prophecies? Some six, seven hundred years earlier in the Old Testament, all these prophecies are moving towards Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem 
so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem so all these Old Testament prophecies could come true. Micah 5, 2-4 But you, O Bethlehem of Pathra, who were too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. O little town of Bethlehem, a ruler is going to come from you who's going to be great to the ends of the earth. Now, humanly speaking, who does everybody looking to as the, the supreme ruler whose rule extends to the ends of the earth? It's Caesar Augustus, the so-called savior of the world, the one who's the prince of peace, the one that was conceived of a snake. But who's truly the one to be the ruler of the world? The baby being born in Bethlehem, who is the true savior of the world, who is the true prince of, prince of peace, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Now, what does it mean there was no room for them at the inn? Does this mean there were no Motel 6s? They were all filled up and they got to Bethlehem and all the hotels were were filled up. No, there's no hotels at that time in history. We kind of have romanticized pictures of the innkeeper turning them away. Do you realize there's no innkeeper there? It just says there was no room for them at the inn. Now let me explain to you ancient Near Eastern houses that would have been very similar to what would have been in Bethlehem. So, So it's a rectangular house and there's three sections. There's a main living area, and then there's a curtain, and then there's an area probably for animals, and then there's an extra area, which is like a guest room that has a separate entrance on the other side. And so probably what it was was there was no guest room available for them in these houses. Now, we've gone to South Asia many times on mission trips, and you go into these little huts, those of you that have been to, to India with us, you, and you see these little houses, these little rectangular houses, and they got the animals outside, and then they got maybe one or two rooms, and so all these people pile in there, and so probably what happened was is that these houses were all filled up, and there were no guest rooms available in these houses. So, where did they have to go? Most probably to a nearby cave, where there was an animal feeding trough. Now, it's very interesting. How was Caesar Augustus supposedly conceived? By a snake. Now, that's just a legend. But in a house of royalty, a house of military might, a house that was built by Julius Caesar. Contrast that to Jesus, conceived of the Holy Spirit, to the Virgin Mary, not from royalty, Not from wealth, Jesus came into the world in the most humble of conditions with barnyard animals in a feeding trough. Now, we're going to sing Silent Night tonight, and we love Silent Night, but it's probably not theologically accurate. The baby was not making a noise. Anybody ever have a baby not make a noise? Jesus was fully God and fully man. We don't know if Jesus had colic or what. We don't know that, but... I'm sure it was pretty noisy on that night. Cattle lowing, dogs barking, sheep bleating. I'm sure it was kind of a commotion. But notice just the matter of fact, verse 7, how Luke records it. She gave birth. 
to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Matter of fact, there's no announcement in Rome. There's no hoopla. There's no parade. It's just this young, humble couple in a manger where Jesus is born as the true King of Kings. But I want you to think about that last statement there in verse 7. There was no place for them in the end. There was no place for them. There was no place for Jesus. I wonder if that's true for you today. Do you have a place for Jesus in your life? Is Jesus more of a convenience, kind of to help you with your problems? Jesus may be second, third, fourth on your list when it's convenient to you. Do you say with your mouth, oh, I make room for Jesus, but with your attitudes and your actions, you show that you really don't make room for Jesus. Is He your all in all? Is He your ultimate? Is He your true King? Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus is to be enthroned, the royal one within your heart, as the King of your affections. Is Jesus the king of your affections? Does Jesus dominate your heart? Does he rule your thoughts? So we've seen the humble birth of Jesus. No fanfare, really no worship, no audience, no hoopla. Probably nobody even knew that he was born except for Mary and Joseph. And so we've seen the tale of two kings. The supposed king... Caesar Augustus, the supposed savior of the world, the supposed prince of peace, supposedly conceived of a snake, and yet, who's the true king that nobody really knows about at this time? Jesus, the true king, the true prince of peace, the true savior of the world, the king. All right, now let's look at the second scene for this morning. I call this angelic evangelism, okay? Angelic evangelism. So let's continue reading. Let's pick up in verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I don't think we understand the significance of the shepherds. 
the negative reputation the shepherds had in that culture. You see, shepherds were nomads. They never really settled down in a community. They were always wandering with their sheep. And they were gone for long periods of time, and so people looked upon them with suspicion. Oftentimes, they were accused of being bandits or robbers. They were put in the same category as a gambler or a tax collector or a prostitute. And because they were out in the fields for all this time, they were not allowed in a court of law to give a witness they were not, their, 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 their testimony was thrown out. In other words, the shepherds were the lowest of the low of that society. You could say they were the scum of the earth, shepherds in that culture. And so this angel, we don't know the angel, possibly Gabriel, shows up to them in dazzling apparel. And the glory of the Lord shines. The glory of the Lord shines. It reminds us of how we opened up the worship service. Those who have walked in darkness have seen a glorious light. Jesus has come as the light of the world. It's this whole idea that in this dark night, darkness because of sin, darkness because of rebellion, the glory of the Lord shines with these angels. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And so what do the angels Declare. Did you read it? It says there in verse 10, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's where we get the word evangel, gospel. In other words, the way you can literally read this is that the angels evangelized the shepherds. They declared the evangel, the good news news it was good news of great joy now that word great that luke likes to use is the greek word mega the shepherds were filled with mega fear you would too if these angels showed up to you every time an angel shows up in the bible nobody goes up and gives them a high five and says hey buddy what's going on what do they do they fall on their face and what does the angel have to always say don't be afraid so they were mega fearful. But let's think about the message. If these angels bring the good news, they evangelize the shepherds, what is their message? Well, notice what it says there in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David three titles of Jesus, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. Those titles are very important. As Savior, Jesus will come to forgive us of our sins. He's come to save us from our sins. And then it says Christ the Lord or Messiah Lord. Nowhere else in the New Testament is that construction found, those two words put together, Christ the Lord. So Christ or Messiah means anointed king from the lineage of David, God's anointed And then Lord means He is sovereign. And it ties us back to the Old Testament. What was God called in the Old Testament? Lord. Yahweh. The name you really weren't allowed to speak out loud. And you might expect the angels to say that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ of the Lord. But no, they say He is Christ the Lord. 
Not only is he the long-expected Messiah, not only is he the Savior of the world, but he's the Lord in the flesh. Absolutely divine, fully God. It was unprecedented to call any human being Lord. That was only reserved for God. So when you think about all these titles coming together for Jesus, he's Savior, Christ, the Lord. Acts 2.36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is Savior to save us from the bondage of our sins. Jesus is Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the prophesied king and he's absolutely Lord. Jesus Christ the Lord. Remember Caesar Augustus? What was the inscription in that museum? Absolute Lord. Worship me as Lord. Son of God. I am God. No. Caesar Augustus, you're not Lord. The baby born in Bethlehem is Lord over all. And then in verse 13, they break into what historically has been called in Latin, Gloria and Excelsius Deo, which means glory to God in the highest. Notice in verse 14 how it's bracketed out and it's a song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He's pleased. Angels we have heard on high sweetly singing over the plains and the mountains in reply echoing their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo. I'm not going to make you sing it unless you want to this morning to keep you awake. No, we won't. What are the angels doing? Notice what they say. Glory to God in the highest. Notice the first word out of their mouth is glory. Glory to God. It's all about God's glory. This is about the glory of God on display. And then notice what they say. Glory to God in the highest and peace. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what's this peace that's announced? Remember, Caesar Augustus ushered in the, the peace that lasted 200 years, this, this quote-unquote Pax Romana, this Roman peace, this world peace, supposedly. What is this peace? Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You know, we talked about the fourth candle of Advent being the candle of peace. And what this means is, is that you have a right standing with a holy God through the blood of Christ. Which means that if you're not at peace with God, you are at war with God. Colossians 1.20 says this, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me just say it very clearly. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ where you know for certain that you've trusted him for salvation, you've repented of your sins, you have the assurance of, uh, of going to heaven, you are not at peace with God. You are at war with God. And if you die at war with God, there's eternal hell waiting for you. Jesus has come to make peace with you and your maker. 
And this is the message that the angels tell the shepherds. Jesus has been born to bring peace. Not just this generic, peaceful, easy feeling. And sometimes I got confused as a kid when I read this verse because I always read it from the King James Version. The King James says, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I always thought that was kind of like the, I'd like to buy the World of Coke commercials, like peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let's be nice to each other. Jesus came so we would be nice to each other and we'd usher in world peace and we're just supposed to be nice to each other. Goodwill toward men. It makes it sound like if we show goodwill toward our fellow men, then God will be nice to us or God will give us peace. That's not what it means. This is actually talking about sovereign grace. God gives peace on those with whom he is pleased, on whom his favor rests. In other words, it's God is choosing to give peace upon those who are his people that he loves to show grace to. You don't deserve this peace. You don't deserve this grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. God has to give you. God's favor has to rest upon you sovereignly in sovereign grace. God has to choose to give you grace. It's God's good pleasure to give you grace. You can't demand it from God. You can't obligate God to give it to you. He gives it to you because he alone has a sovereign right to give you that grace. Think about the shepherds. Did these shepherds choose God or did God choose them? Are these shepherds taking the initiative out there to look for God? No, they're out there minding their own business on the side of a hill and this angel, this angelic choir bursts forth. God did not take the initiative. I mean, they did not take the initiative. God took the initiative to reveal himself to them. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. That would be the shepherds the low and despised world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We have no room to boast. If God shows you grace, it's because God chose to show you grace. You did not deserve that grace. You can't earn that grace. You receive it as a free gift, and you say, thank you, Jesus, for showing me grace when you did not have to. Now, I want you to notice what the shepherds do. What's their response to the angelic announcement of peace and God's glory? Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened that the Lord has made known to us. Has made known to us. Okay, notice what they did. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They made known the message that was given to them. They published it abroad. They told, they shared, they announced, they declared. Now think about the irony of this. Think about the the God's sense of humor again. Who is not allowed to go into a court of law and be an expert witness testimony? Shepherds. They were untrustworthy, scum of the earth. Who does God trust to be the first ones to share the message of the birth of Jesus? I'm going to trust these shepherds, the scum of the earth. They're going to be the first ones to go and announce the birth of Jesus. Would you trust the shepherds? 
No, God has a sovereign plan. God knows their bad reputation. God knows all of this. But God chooses these shepherds to be the first ones to go out and to make known the glory of God in the highest peace on earth through the birth of Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The shepherds had to go make known Jesus so people could hear. They weren't looking for Jesus. They didn't have the resume to be chosen to be the messengers. They, they were unworthy, sinful men, minding their old business, and God broke through that to show them the glory of the birth of Christ and then sent them out with the gospel message to share with those who could hear. And this is how it works with us. Don't think you're any better than those shepherds. We are sinful, unclean, nobodies that God saves by grace and chooses for us to go and share the gospel with others, to bring that message of hope to others so people can hear. So the shepherds made it known. Now the text doesn't come right out and say what they made known. It just says they made known the things that had been told to them. So here's my guess. Those three titles of Jesus, they made known that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus is Lord. That Jesus alone can forgive your sins as Savior. That Jesus alone is the King of Kings. And that Jesus alone is the Sovereign Lord over your life. And so from the witness of these shepherds, we, two, we see two responses in this passage. Okay? It's very curious what verse 18 tells us. This is the first response you see. So the shepherds go and they tell, they make known. What do you see in verse 18? All who heard it, what the shepherds said, wondered at what the shepherds told them. Hmm. They wondered. That, that's all the text tells us. Did they believe it? Did they accept it? Did they embrace it as true? Did they shake their heads walking away? That's a lot of the ways it happens to us today, too, when we share the gospel with others. When you share the gospel of Christ with others, there may be times where people shake their heads and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I could care less. It makes no sense. And they may never believe in Jesus. But you sharing the gospel may be the first step. Now, don't raise your hands here, but how many of you have had that experience where the very first time you shared the gospel with somebody, they automatically repented and believed? It's very few and far between. What I've discovered is that most people need time, they need exposure, you need to talk with them, multiple, pray with them multiple times, you need to share the gospel with them. Answer their objections. Answer their questions. Show them the love of Christ. Spend time with them. And so we really don't know what the response is of those that heard the shepherds. They just wondered. And that may happen to you when you share the gospel. People may be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I could care less. Don't give up. It could be that they need more information and God has anointed you and God has appointed you to be the one to continue sharing the gospel with them. All right, let's look at the second response. Mary, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured. 
she kept on pondering the way the original language reads here. She was constantly thinking, constantly meditating, constantly pondering over these things. In other words, she could not get over the fact that she gave birth to the Savior who is Christ the Lord. She had to think about that. And so I wonder if you respond this way to the message of Jesus. Do you take time to ponder? Do you take time to meditate? Do you take time to really, truly think about the implications of who Jesus is, or do you just kind of move along your merry way? I'm afraid at Christmas time there's so much confusion and chaos and credit cards and craziness. I'm thinking of all the C's I can think of. That sometimes you just kind of, I don't know if you're like, you're like numbly and blindly moving through Christmas and then like you look back, oh, it's over. That, that, was, that was Christmas. Ooh, it's over with. Do you take the time, and this is hard in our culture today, do you take the time to be like Mary and stop and ponder and think deeply about who Jesus is? Or do you just kind of go along your merry way? When you and I share the gospel with other people, that he's the Savior, that he's the Christ, that he's the Lord, we can't control how people respond. We can't force people to believe. We're only responsible for sharing the gospel and leaving the results up to God. So God's in charge of saving. We're in charge of sharing. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So keep sharing, keep declaring, keep telling people, and realize that if anybody's going to come to faith in Christ, it's going to be God doing it. But don't give up. Now, what do we see the shepherds do in verse 20? There's a key word that shows up twice in this passage. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Glorifying. How does verse 14 start? Glory to God in the highest. They declared the gospel. They displayed God's glory. See, here's, the, here's what happened. The angels displayed God's glory and declared God's gospel. What did the shepherds do? The shepherds did the same thing. They went and imitated the angels and they displayed God's glory by declaring God's gospel. They made it known. One of the things that I kind of glossed over is another mega word. They were mega afraid. So go back. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, the glory, there's the word glory again, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with mega fear. Mega fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of mega joy. That will be for all the people. Shepherds, you're filled with mega fear, but I'm going to give you a message of mega joy. So let me ask you a question. Do you have mega joy this Christmas season? 
the only response to the gospel is joy. Here's the point. If you've been saved by grace and you've seen God's glory and you know God's gospel, you can't help but let it out and let other people know. You don't want to keep it to yourself. The joy is contagious. You have to share it. You want to share it. You get to share it. You get to display God's glory by declaring God's gospel, and you can do it with great joy to people who are living in darkness and need Jesus as their light, to people who are in bondage to sin and need to be set free, to people who are guilty in their sin and need Jesus to forgive them, to people who are enemies of God and need peace with If hell is a real place, and it is, and if Jesus is truly Savior, and He is, and if He is truly Messiah, and He is, and if He's truly Lord, and He is, and everything comes back to the glory of His gospel, then why not be like the shepherds and immediately, joyfully, urgently make known this gospel message to everybody around you this Christmas. The stakes are high. Time is short. The older I get in ministry, the more I realize there's no time to mess around when it comes to people's souls. Christ is coming back. Time is short. And we've got the privilege to make known the greatest message of hope this world will ever know. That they can have great joy in Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. So would you this Christmas Eve, with great joy, do what the angels did and do what the shepherds did. Display God's glory by declaring God's gospel on this Christmas Eve. And not just today, but let's make a point to do it every day. Because Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Lord, and He deserves all the glory. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we give glory to our great Savior. I am thankful that you sent your angels to these shepherds. gives me great encouragement to know that you aren't looking for the biggest and brightest and most powerful and the most popular in this world, but you choose the things that maybe are so outside the norm. And we look at our lives and we look at us and we, and we think we have nothing really to offer to this world. We're nobodies. We live in a small town that half the people in Colorado have never even heard of. We're not in Denver. We're not in some large city. 
we're just people you've called to be faithful to your gospel message, just like the shepherds. And so, Lord, would you give us that same heart that the shepherds have to go make known the glory of the Lord, to make it known to our friends that are living in darkness, to make it known to our families that are living in darkness, Lord, to to make the gospel known, to be lights in a dark world, to give hope to the hopeless, to give peace to those that are without peace, to give joy to those that are, are bitter. Lord, may we be a people of mega joy this Christmas. As it all comes back to your glory alone. Help us be a people that glorify you, Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, Jesus, they know in their heart of hearts, deep in their heart, that they are not forgiven. They're not saved. They've not repented and believed. They're not at peace with their Creator. My prayer is that today would be the day. Today would be the day on this Christmas Eve 2024 where they would raise the white flag of surrender, confess their sin, repent of their sin, and cry out to Jesus to save them. So Lord, would you save sinners this morning that need to be at peace with their Creator? Because Lord, my my prayer is that all of us can leave this place at peace and with great joy this Christmas season. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. May you be glorified this day, the rest of this day as we gather again tonight, and Lord, especially tomorrow on the day that we celebrate your birth. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.